1: No, Lucky Land Casino,
2: with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Boy, were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Pad up. It's the Australian Cricket Podcast. And here are your hosts.
0: Welcome to the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Mentzel, a.k.a. Menes, And let me introduce my guests this week. Very short introductions. My assistant, James McSmith, how are you?
2: Fantastic, Andrew. Thanks for having me. I'm humbled to be here.
0: You're on a very short leash because... I gave you a have a go, you mug, mug, and you told me at the end of last show that you gave it away to one of your
2: relatives. What's going on there? Well, it's my father-in-law. First of all, so anything he wants, he gets. But mate, it's just so popular these mugs. They're walking out the store. They should be sold at all good stores, like Rebel, even at merchandise at the SCG. Well, Everyone not- wants one, mate. Well, mate. Everyone. You're
0: not getting another one if you're going to just re-gift it to someone else.
2: And it was a Christmas present too. No, yeah, all right, you're out.
0: You're out show's over and my second panelist joining me this week is the co-host of the upcoming big smash cricket podcast welcome back paul dennett how are you hey men great to be here hey bring on the bbl yeah it's very exciting we've got a new podcast coming all about the bbl and wbbl starting in december looking forward to doing that with you paul it's going to be fun
1: it's going to be an absolute blast menace
0: And in today's show, there is a hell of a lot to get to. Australian cricket is in crisis. We've got a whole new test side announced for the Adelaide Test. We've got the commentator critique. We've got the read and react. It's a full show. But before we get into the details of the changes to the test side, I just want to get your general takeaway after you saw the test side announced
1: yesterday, Paul. Initially, I thought it wasn't too bad. But when I've looked into it in a bit more detail, I think that some of their selections seem um, hard, hard to justify based on stats and yeah I'm a little bit underwhelmed by it now that I've looked into it in more detail.
2: And what about you Macker? were you happy unhappy? I Man again I'm just completely uh, I just calm speechless again. I mean I think we've spoken before about the complete lack of logical thought in terms of the selection process and once again the real problem here is and continues to be our selection problem, the problems with that and those involved with the high-performance unit and the top brass, I mean, I just, like Paul, there's not a logical train of thought that goes through these selections.
0: Well, you've come out swinging already, I can tell. You're you're fired up. But they will say that they've thrown the book out from the last test and they've been given a mandate to completely revamp the side, in which case you, you throw away the book and you start again. And you just pick the best team for the future.
2: Yeah, but so you've thrown out the you've thrown out the book. You've got thrown out the worst performing players, but you've kept probably arguably the worst performing player of all, Nathan Lyon, and Peter Neville, who's by, by anyone's account has had a he can hold his head up high given his performances. Some he's just tossed out of the side. Well, let's get into the details
0: of the team then. Let's start up the top of the order. I want to go through this new look Australian side. Through the batting order, so David Warner's opening up. He has a brand new partner, Matt Renshaw. Queenslander has played just 12 first-class games. He's already scored three first-class centuries, and he made a, a gritty hundred in the last Shield round, which seemed to get him over the line. So he's going to be opening up with David Warner. What do you guys think of Matt Renshaw being thrown into the mire?
2: Well, I still think Joe Burns has been poorly treated throughout all this I'm not totally against Renshaw's inclusion, but once again, I think the man management by the selection panel is horrible.
0: Yeah, I agree with Burns, and we'll get to what, where this leaves him in a sec, but I think with Renshaw, the way he bats is very... He looks like an imposing left-handed batsman. The unfortunate thing for him is he was born in England, so he's, he uh, came out here... Very unfortunate. Came out here eight years ago, so he's still got a little bit of that uh, Englishness about him. But if, I think we'll get that out of him once he starts to play well, how, for Australia. How, how's his accent? Well, apparently his Yorkshire accent came out a bit when he was playing over in England last year. I think he's from Middlesbrough. But yeah, look, seriously, I think he's a good pick. I, w- I think he's a, a pick for the future. He remind he looks like a classical
1: opener. So yeah, get him in there. Yeah, I can live with his selection. I think that anyone who's very, very young and they've obviously seen some significant potential there, then I'm fine with that. So um, a, worthy, a worthy gamble, I think.
0: But where does this leave Joe Burns? He was called back for one test, the Hobart test, dropped again. I think his best chance might be coming back in through the middle order.
2: Well, man, my whole problem is this is meant to be a line in the sand for Australian cricket. We're going to take a new direction. but So, therefore, the players who have been cast adrift, uh, conceivably they're not in the selection picture for a year. Can I say that? So, therefore, Joe Burns can't really get his way back in the side and neither can Neville. Is that sort of what we're saying? Burns, just he's been cut adrift. I like think he never. has been cut adrift. That's a tough call, isn't it? I think Even it's a really record. tough
0: call. That's why in the last year, you and I both had him opening up with Warner in Adelaide. But you know, all the good work he did last summer has been thrown out the door.
2: Well, men is and I know we'll get to this as well. But my problem, as well, Paul, is that someone like Matthew Wade, who's come into the side, he hasn't present. He had a chance at Test level. He wasn't particularly impressive, and he hasn't been knocking down the door to get back into the side either. So you've dropped someone. Peter Neville, whose form is is pretty good, and you brought someone into the side in Matthew Wade whose form isn't as good. I
1: think yeah. with both Burns and Neville that I think that, and probably Ferguson as well, they could say, geez, we, we, we've been treated harshly. I would agree with all three of them they have been treated harshly, but I also think with all three of them, they're not the kind of players, if I'm being honest, that I think in 20 years' time people will, will be remembering. I don't think they are... You know they don't have it in them to be super test performers, so I, I don't mind that they've been treated a bit unfairly. I just think that we've got to look for better than them, and um, we, I don't I don't necessarily think we've done that in this in this instance though. With Wade, I think they're, they're looking towards India, and I think that his batting in in, in the subcontinent, uh, in the Sri Lankan one as was very good. So I'm, I'm I'm okay with that. All right, let's stick
0: with batting order. Usman Khawaja, number three, he's been retained. Number four, Steve Smith, the captain. And then number 5, we've got a brand new number 5 batsman. Adam Voges was not considered for selection because of concussion. I don't think he would have been picked anyway. Peter Hanscom comes in, Victorian. Averages 40 in first class cricket. But last Sheffield Shield season, scored 3 centuries and 4 half centuries. So showed a really good level of consistency. Then backed it up with 215 in the last Shield round against the New South Wales side. And that's put him into the test
2: side. Well, oh, man, as Paul, the, the thing I like about Hanscom is, you know, the selection committee said, before this round of Sheffield Shield, spots were up for grabs. He grabbed the bull by the horns, whacked a double hundred. He deserves to be there.
1: Look, I mean, I think he's... I put him potentially in the class of someone like Burns, that he's pretty good, but ultimately I wonder whether he's really cut out for it at test level. He's played enough first-class cricket... Uh, to to if he was going to be great at first at test level, that he'd have a better first class record than he does. But was- don't you take into account? A player's development. So they come onto the stage when
0: they're 20. So you write off the first two years and say, okay, they're learning. Then you look at their stats from the last two or three seasons and go, okay, they've improved. They average maybe 30 in their first couple of years, but now
1: they're averaging close to 45, 50. Don't think you should take that into account? Excellent point. I definitely think you should take that into account. And what I want to do, if you'll indulge me, is when we talk about Maddinson, the next player picked, I want to make a joint point about Madison and Hanscom that is touching right on that issue.
0: Okay, well, let's let's move on then to Nick Maddinson, was picked at number six for Australia, ahead of Callum Ferguson, who was the incumbent from the last Test match. And this is the first absolute howler. This is where Mad has comes out, Mackey. You're asking if Mad Madness had come out today. <laughs> Well, it has come out, because Nick Maddinson, despite being a blue bagger, is a horrendous selection. I think it, it casts doubt over the whole side when you have one... Howler amongst the whole team because there was logic in some of the other selections, but I cannot see any reason why Nick Maddison would be picked in this side. He averages 30 in shield cricket last summer, he averages 17 against the pink ball generally. Uh, Some of the batsmen that weren't picked, Patterson averages 53, Ferguson 53, Maxwell 56, they're their shield averages from last year. And Maddison's been picked on the back of a really poor season. What's going on?
1: I agree with you 100%. And I think that the thing is that they put Too much emphasis on gut feel and this whole, well, we don't want to look at the stats too much. I agree that stats aren't everything, but they're not nothing either. You've got to say, look, this is Madison's career, seasons in Australia, first-class averages 39, 28, 35, 27, 53 and then 26 last season. That 53 is the only time that he's had a decent summer. That was in the 2014-15 summer, where it seems like it was the easiest summer in the history of the Sheffield Shield. Everyone had a good average in that season. If you look at some of the players in that season, Lynn, 62, Maddinson, 53, Rogers, 51, David Hussey, 66, Dan Christian, 51, Matthew Wade, 57, Hanscom, 54, Sean Marsh, 64. Peter Neville, 76. Marcus Stoinis, 49. Joe Burns, 52. Ed Cowan, 48. Callum Ferguson, 52. And and all these people you're reading out would have made more sense than Nick Maddison. Cameron Bancroft, 47. Klinger, 58. And Voges in that season averaged 104. Now, that's where I think that my issue with Maddison comes in. And that touches on the point I was making about Hanscom. And I think that if you look at his um, season-by-season record... Um, average of, to your point, menes give him, a, give him a chance for his first couple of years, 34, 26, 30, yeah, not so great. Then 54, which looks great, but that's in that season. Last season, 43, that's solid. I just wonder, is that enough to say this man is going to be someone we remember in years to come as a top test cricketer? And I think the answer is probably no, but I'm happy to be proven wrong.
0: Well, I think you will find out because I think you have to take into account those two, like Peter Hansen's last two years and his Australia A form. But let's get back to Madison because I still can't get it. If you watch Maddinson play, he looks like the sort of player that we're trying to get away from. Flat-track bully, uh, can can really dominate attacks at time. But also, do you want Maddinson coming out if you fall for 60? Don't you want someone like a Curtis Patterson or a George Bailey, someone to get in there and dig in for you? I just think Madison's a really bad pick. Matt, Matt, where are
2: you on man, this? I, man, I really enjoy watching Madison play in the Big Bash, but I think he's really one of those players who came on the scene, he was being talked about as a future Australian player, but like Paul's pointed out, he hasn't fulfilled that potential. And yeah, don't I, you
0: think this gives ammunition to all those people that think all you need is a baggy blue when you get in the test side? Because Manson's purely picked on potential, results wouldn't... Suggest he deserves a chance yet because maybe Steve Smith and Mark War and all the people that are around him think he's got a lot of talent. They've they've chucked him in.
2: Well, Mark War said before these selections that he was going to base some of it was going to be based on intuition or a hunch, was it? And I can't ever remembering really when it, when that sort of pays dividends. And I think you know if we go back to Hobart, it, that we said back then Callum Ferguson came out of nowhere manners. And well, I think he we didn't, said, well, he to, yeah. it, it was it, it was just like what? How's he there? But anyway, so you say well, Ferguson shouldn't have been picked in the first place, and many shouldn't have been picked in the first place. I feel for them, but they're not in the side. But Maddinson, yeah, I just you're right. He's not that sort of player who's going to come in and dig in, dig the trench, and just I just yeah. I mean, even I would Patterson has got a far better record than he does.
1: I mean, a lot of the players you read out on your list would have been better picks than... Well, the, yeah, and Jake Lehman was the one that I didn't read out. Um, he didn't have that good a season that summer, but his overall average of about 49 in first-class cricket, I think he's the one that I would definitely have been picking um, along with Maxwell to be in this side. But my, my So wife... you'd have gone for Maxwell instead of Madison, That's a popular choice. Yeah, I think um, I mean, Maxwell... holds a bit of spin. Averages more. Fields, fields amazingly well. Yep. But my overall point as well is, is why does every selector have to be a former cricketer, um, a former test cricketer? What is it about having slightly better hand-eye coordination than the next person that makes you an astute chooser of people who are going to be in the side? There's just no logic to that. Why not pick uh, someone who is demonstrably successful in showing that they're smart? Um, Mark Waugh, fine cricketer, but... Um, you know, does he have a, a, a degree in statistics? Does he have a, um, a proven record of um, astuteness? No, it's just that, that 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 enables these people to come up with these gut feeling sort of gibber, and that no one can can challenge it. I just find that I find that
2: bizarre. I, I agree, Paul. But let's just say, who, if who who's someone that you would hover have of that ilk on the panel? A name that comes up is it a business leader? Who is it? Well, it's me. But...
1: <laughs> no, but it's, I mean, um, look at Jose Mourinho in the um, in English Premier League. He's not someone who ever had a, any sort of level of career at um, international soccer. I reckon he could get his head around the cricket in, in 10 minutes and be better than some of these guys. Um, just, look, I, I haven't got a name for you, but I've just got some someone who has got a proven track record in in statistical analysis, in you know in being clever about these things. And I just don't think these current blokes have got it. I'm not saying that if you've been an ex-player, you can't be a selector, but I'm saying that that shouldn't be the number one requirement for being a selector.
2: Do we kind of bring in a money ball approach sometimes to some of these selections?
1: Why not? Yeah, I mean, we could certainly do a lot worse.
0: Interesting. Uh, I sort of see where you're coming from. I don't think you need to be an established established Test star to be a selector. Well, obviously, Trevor Holmes wasn't. No, but I think you need some level of experience in the system. All right, now let's talk about Callum Ferguson. Do we think he'll join notable one-test wonders like Stuart Law, Matt Nicholson, Mick Malone, Dan Cullen, Sean Young, who was plucked to play the final test of the 97 Ashes Tour while playing county cricket? Two-metre Peter George, who played one test, or even Phil Emery. Is that it for
1: Ferguson? Does he join this one-test wonder list? Probably, but I would have said the same about Chris Rogers. You, you can never say never, but it doesn't look good for him.
2: Look, I said before I feel for him, because, you know, obviously everybody dreams of the baggy green, don't they, mates? You still dream about it every night, mate. But it, it, it's, it'd be hard for him to swallow that he's got this chance. He ran himself out, got dismissed in an ill-disciplined fashion in the second innings. That's it for him. But as Paul said, you never know. But... Time's not on his side. I did find
1: it a bit hard to take that Trevor Holmes talking about um, his his dropping was sort of saying, well, everyone had an opportunity to, to perform, and if they didn't perform, then away they went. I, I agree with you that his selection, Macca, was out of the blue. He's not someone I would have picked. But one test match, a run-out, lapse of judgment, but that's not, that's not down to your skill in batting. The ball that he got out on was a pretty difficult ball and a pretty difficult pitch playing against some very, very good bowlers. For... Trevor Holmes to say that he didn't perform. By that same logic, mate, you should have been sacked as well because, you know, you, your are Fair
0: point. That's that's giving it to them, Paul. You're,
1: you're... They should be sacked. All but, of them.
2: Well, but what does it do to this guy's
0: confidence? Well, as you said, Minutes. it's not good curation of someone's no. confidence, is it, Matt? No. To borrow a Macarism. <laughs> all right, let's move on. Butter Gloves Wade has been picked, as you touched on. 12, oh. He's played 12 tests already. Averages a healthy 35 with the bat. Has made two test centuries, but also has made some shocking mistakes. I remember at the, the last time South Africa here at that famous Adelaide draw, Wade put down a couple of crucial chances of Faf and then he batted for the next three days. I think I alluded in the show before that Matthew Wade brings a nasty Victorian edge to the dressing room, which might be good for the dressing room. Maybe You know, there was talk that it was too quiet and maybe a little bit of Victorian nastiness will just liven things up a bit.
1: Well, I think that's just, um, that That was touched upon by Holmes in the conference as well. And he laughed and they all said, yeah, it's good you know, good to get a bit of a mongrel back. I know I'm probably in the minority on this. I just think that's juvenile and absolutely moronic. The idea that you're going to pick someone because they've got a perceived nastiness and that they've got a perceived um, higher level of aggression. Um, by that logic, you'd never pick Federer if you're picking a tennis side. I just think that's stupid.
2: Bad that it, example. It's, a, it's not a No, I, I, I agree. I mean, man, let's look at. Neville, in six, he's taken 61 catches in 17 tests. And Wade has taken 33 catches in 12. So that's a massive disparity between the two. Yeah, it's, can you it's get massive. the stats on how many they've dropped, though? Well, that's, well, 3K, that's, that's what I'm saying. Is how, well, how many stumpings has he missed? How many half chances has he missed, Wade? That's, that's damning.
0: So Neville has played 17 tests. He averages 22 at the bat. He's 31 years old. This could be it for him. I mean, he might not find a way back. They'll give Wade a shot and then they might turn to a
1: younger player and Neville's left on the outer. It is hard for him probably to come back from this. And that touches on your point then about moneyball and cricket, that we don't have any statistics for keepers that are any use. That um, you know, I think Gilchrist just about has the highest number of dismissals per match um, in, in keeping. If you're going to go on the stats and, and judge those stats by anything, you'd say he's the best pure gloveman that there ever was, which most people wouldn't think. That we do need some sort of moneyball stat that we could say, right... Matthew Wade has dropped this many, these many uh, catchable chances versus Neville, and we can demonstrably say who is the better gloveman. Without the stats, it's just all it's all gut feel. You seem to have a lot of time on your hands, Paul. Maybe you could start tracking this um, when you're watching the cricket, just like missed chances and stuff. Cricket Australia, if you'd like to pay me some sort of money to do that, um, I'd love to. But now,
2: as we pointed out the last show, they've got plenty of, kitty in that uh sponsorship well, it's all going communications, communications. Uh, but before
0: we move on paul i just want to back pedal you brought up that you think wade's attitude is not a valid uh, reason to select him is do you sort of discount dressing room culture and and that kind of how a dressing room culture can affect performance
1: by and large i think that um it's a professional sport i think that that the, the The logical follow-on of that is that Neville was was somehow not good for the dressing room um, uh, culture. I don't think that's the case. I think that playing at the Australian level, they'll all be be pretty motivated. They'll all be pretty fired up. And I think that Wade, um, yeah, sure, he's a competitive guy, but that's you know i i I can't see how that is going to improve the side overall i don't mind way you need someone
0: to go around and pick somebody up someone's having a low day you've got to be that character that goes and picks them up and gets them motivated well not motivated but gets them out of that poor attitude or gets them out of that bad mood or you know if there's a quiet group of guys that's not really gelling all it takes is a couple of people to stir things up and all of a sudden you can sort of bond a bit more don't you think that's valid well,
1: I mean, that's to say, maybe Neville was doing that. Maybe he's the the best at it. We don't know. But no, I, just, I want, think that... just
0: generally, I'm not talking about Neville in okay. a way. Just generally,
1: I just generally think that's that should that shouldn't really be a consideration for picking someone in the Australian cricket side because it just sounds it sounds like it's, we're picking someone for kindergarten. That they're. Well, just, but it
0: goes. What you're saying sort of goes against team sport. I mean, you you cover a lot of team sport, Macca. What do you think about the importance of a dressing room culture? But,
2: I think man is for me what it's obviously an important thing and you know, Steve Smith's spoken about how guys aren't playing for the baggy green, but I think that's a bit of a throwaway line sometimes, you know, like I'm not talking about
0: motivation. I'm talking about an actual where players come together and they gel. The South African side looks like they're really yeah. playing for each other. they you know, they get on well, they're unified. Do you think that's important? Well if you, Do you I mean think you, someone like Wade. Can obviously bring with that? all these
2: books that come out this summer with people talking about how bad things were under Michael Clark and even Brad Haddon's it's come out now and he's opened up on how bad things were under clark are we still getting over that i'm not sure and steve smith is still obviously finding his feet as a skipper maybe that's the problem and he hasn't been given great ownership of the team but i think men is the problem with neville is i don't think there was anyone in his corner fighting for him really i don't know if smith was but matthew wade's got a very influential person in shane warne in his corner fellow victorian he's always talking about him i think that's probably got weighed across the line. I mean, can we just go back? Neville faced, has faced the third most balls this summer. 32 more than Warner. If he's not doing his job with the bat, if that's not doing a job with the bat, I don't know what is. Yeah, look, I would have had Neville in. Okay, let's move on. Mitchell Stark,
0: Josh Hazelwood, obviously locks for the test. Then they brought in Chad Sayers, who has a first-class record. 184 wickets at 23.8. It's an amazing first-class record. So I think A good selection. They've obviously gone away from this, oh, you have to be bowling above 140 to get a look in, which I think is sensible. They've brought in Jackson Bird, who was just outside the Hobart squad, but was there or thereabouts. And then finally, and amazingly, Nathan Lyon has won a reprieve because Stephen O'Keefe had a minor calf strain and was not considered for selection. And I would suggest Trevor Holmes's body language at the press conference would suggest that O'Keefe was probably going to take over Lyon's spot for the Adelaide Test but because he's injured they've stuck with Lyon do you think they should have brought in someone like John Holland or Ashton Agar or was this a
2: sensible selection it just goes at odds so you you, okay so you've cut Burns adrift you've cut Neville adrift they're not part of it anymore but for some unknown reason Lyon is if this is your thinking this is a new era for Australian cricket Nathan Lyon's gone isn't he and you can bring in some of these spinners one of these spinners around country and give them a chance once one test and see how they go from there Pakistan then into India it just goes for me Paul at complete odds with this okay it's okay we're picking Wade Burns has gone and then you stick with Lyon who like I said is probably in the worst form of anyone yeah there comes a point I think when
1: you the argument that oh we have got no one else starts to wear a bit thin that if, if genuinely there it almost sounds like they're picking Lyon because they were going to pick O'Keefe but he got injured and then they look around and think well we might as well pick Lyon. I think there comes a point we've got to say maybe we just shouldn't pick a spinner. That We've got to say, if Lyon has now, I think he's gone almost 600 balls in first-class cricket without taking a wicket. If that's what he's coming into the test match for, do you think that it would be better off just saying, we might as well just pick Bird and Sayers in the 11, put Lyon to, num, uh, to 12th man, and if the, if the ball does happen to spin, then we're just going to have to rely on um, some of the part-timers to do the job because Lyon's not doing it.
2: Yeah, well, men, this is where the big show comes in. Exactly because his, his spin is, his bowling, his off spin is more than serviceable. So if you've got, you know, like Paul mentioned. Maxing at six, he can play for. Exactly. Weeks. And then, you know, if Steve Smith maybe works a bit more on his leg spin, you've got another option there. Why isn't Glenn Maxwell being spoken about? Who, who, He's out of favour with Victoria. He's out of favour with Australia. What's he done wrong? Because he's a likeable bloke. The only thing I'll say well, is Well, that's that debatable.
1: Maybe they are saying we want him for India. And the last thing we want to do is pick him for this um, this test match, which is a bit of a poison chalice. I, you know, Facing these South African bowlers on the Adelaide Oval and um, under lights with the pink ball... It's going to be very hard for anyone to score any runs. Maybe they're saying we're going to pick him fresh for India, and rather than um, ruin his chances by getting him failing in this current summer.
0: Yeah, I don't think that's it. I think Victoria really harmed his chances. Imagine he played in that first Shield game, Maxwell, instead of sitting on the boundary and scored a hundred. You know, he'd probably be in the Test side right now. So, you know, they've taken away chances for him to put his hand up. Just back to Nathan Lyon quickly. I don't think it was the worst selection, given the circumstances. The fact that O'Keefe wasn't available. John Holland wasn't that impressive in Sri Lanka. So you you don't want to bring someone like Ashton Agar in in that spot. So I think they've gone for someone with valid experiences. I mean, Gary does have over 200 test wickets. And for one match, perhaps he can lift and he bowls okay with the pink ball. But aren't we
2: trying new things here? Aren't we trying to... Do yeah, things but I better? don't think you
0: want to just go... I mean, that's where they got in trouble with Madden, trying and use someone, just just pick anybody. I don't think you want to go that far.
2: I just, I can't believe Lyon's still there. I can't believe it.
0: All right, so there's been a few uh, issues that have come up. We got a very good email from Dylan, who asked about whether Australia have now ditched the all-rounder experiment. Now, we didn't get a chance in the last show. Mitch Marsh was dropped from the Hobart test, and then he, he's subsequently injured now, not playing shield cricket. Where is Mitch Marsh now? Where where does this leave him in this whole revamp of the test side?
2: Well, but once again, why doesn't Maxwell fall under that all-rounder experiment? Why isn't he there?
0: Well, the other player, player is James Faulkner, an all-rounder. Stephen O'Keefe's got as good a batting average at first-class yeah. cricket as Mitch
2: Marsh. Well, as for Mitch Marsh, I think he, yeah. Like, I think we've said before, you believe, man, is that he needs to go back to shield cricket for two years and work on his game and maybe, you know, like Paul said, you never say never, but... It's been an abject failure.
1: No, I, I agree with the, that. That with Mitch Marsh, that he's gone for the moment, but they always were picking him because they saw something in him. If that if that something does exist, then he will go back to Shield Cricket and reinvent himself and and make a compelling case. But un, unless he does that, then I can't see him coming back anytime soon. And I agree um, with Faulkner um, would certainly be someone that's worthy of consideration, especially. I keep on harping on about it, but the upcoming tour of India, he'd be someone that I'd be giving consideration
2: well, to. you know Menaz is already having nightmares about India, so I don't think we need to talk about it too much.
0: My nightmares are about bloody Adelaide, <laughs> so don't get ahead to India. By then we could be, you know, none and uh, 10 in test cricket. I won't be surprised. 10 in a row by the time sur- we go to India.
2: Won't be surprised. Bottoms if out
0: at 16 in a row.
2: If you don't board that plane, mate. <laughs> I missed the plane, unfortunately.
0: So broadly speaking, what I think has happened now is Australia have gone away from that number six being an all-rounder and they want a decent batsman there. And I think that's important. I think having an all-rounder at six hasn't worked. Shane Watson, Mitch Marsh, it has always been a failure. And I think you want six good batsmen, keeper, four bowlers. That's been the way Test cricket has been played in this country for a very long time and quite successfully. And I think it's it's a pretty good blueprint. If Mitch Marsh can come back... And bat in the top six, say at five or six, as a valid batsman and bowl some overs. Great, but it, you know I don't think there should
1: have the middle ground anymore. The one thing that we've been lacking in that in that front is that w- when we've always done well in the past is when we have those six batsmen, but one or two of them can bowl some decent medium pace, just to like Steve War, Mark War bowling off spin, Alan Border bowling a bit of spin, Greg Chappell before that. Uh, to just tide a few overs by and get it, you know, get through five or ten overs a day. I think that's something that we should be should be looking for. But otherwise, I agree with you, hundred percent, menes
0: Now let's move on to some more big issues. We've gone through the new look Australian side. There's some abject failures from the selection panel. Um, but let, let, we've got an really interesting email from one of our listeners, a South African. So you can imagine what this is about. menes must disagree with your comments regarding FAF and the alleged ball-tampering incident in the last podcast. Australian cricket have failed to lodge a complaint. Why? Because the whole drama is nonsense. Now, this is from clearly a very biased South African because I don't know if the listeners have been on and seen the footage of Faf faffing around with the ball. It is a clear case of cheating. It feels like we're dealing with the US government. Deny, deny, deny.
2: <laughs> with with Hillary, um, oh, mate, I, I think it's a case of they doth protest too much as South Africans. we got Hamler's, Hamler's embarrassing press conference, and Dale Steyn coming out on Twitter defending what Faf did or saying there was nothing to see there, and he got absolutely hammered across the, you know, not just from Australian fans, but from Indian fans. And I think, man, as you got to look at it, it was Dave Richardson who bought the charge in ICC, a former South African keeper. And even Sourav Gungool, he's come out and slammed Faf for his, for what he was doing. So, he's, he's, he doesn't love Australia either,
0: Surab. So. so, Faf's an idiot for getting caught and for being so blatant about it. And Hashim Amla hmm. He's so, a bigger idiot. Because if anyone wants to see a ridiculous press conference, just listen to Hashim, Hashim Amla pretending like he's Never played cricket before, and talking in front of the cameras like an like a goon, and he's and even worse, he's got the whole South African team behind him to to show some sign like of, a bunch solidarity, of solidarity solidarity. But they're schoolboys, immature, mm. trying to back up their cheating bloody captain, and I think it's ridiculous. And if you listen to someone who's a lot more neutral than I am, like. Jonathan Agnew, I heard him talking about. He said, the first thing you think of is, God, the Aussies are trying to blame something for their loss. But then you see the footage and go, well, it's absolutely damning. He's clearly putting a substance on the ball. So, Jason, thanks for the email, but I don't know what, mm. what game you're watching.
1: Mm. I think the thing that people need to be able to separate is that, that exact point that Ag has made, that A, it wasn't the Australians, as far as I understand, that, that instigated this, it was the ICC. And B, it's quite possible to have two points in mind and say, one, yes, what FAF did was wrong. And two, that doesn't mean that Australia is saying we deserve to win. I think every Australian accepts that South Africa are deservedly up 2-0. But I think that any fair-minded person looking at what FAF did would say that 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 was wrong and that he deserves to be punished by it. I suppose the good thing that comes out of all this, it shows that international cricket still does engender great passion in people and that a lot of people are looking at this and just saying... Uh, I can't. I can't see the nuances of it, and just saying, "Nah, uh, you Australians are, c- are complaining. We beat you fair and square," and getting fired up. There's something to like about that, hmm. and I, I I agree with you, what you say, Menas, about um, that that Hashim Amlar performed poorly in that press conference. But I'd, I'd no, say, not by, bloody poorly. i like treat us all like idiots. I'd hmm. say, by the same token, though, sometimes if you want, better off
0: not saying nothing.
1: If you're Coming it, out and acting like that. Sometimes if you want to show loyalty, you have to make yourself look a bit stupid. And he's defending something that's largely indefensible. But if I was a South African, I'd say that's pretty cool that my uh, one of my senior players was willing to make himself look a bit silly by standing up for the captain. Uh, it shows that there's a good team spirit in the South African side. But, but, well, you've you just said team spirit doesn't matter. It's like
2: so. just a bunch of thieves defending one another. It's a bunch of, you know... It's the, it's the, the mafia. The, yeah, sticking together.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't say team spirit didn't matter. I, I was making the point... I wouldn't pick someone who is an inferior cricketer because of some perceived bonus they're going to have in the dressing room. Now, I just think, I, I, I
2: just think, man, an example needs to be made of faff. Rub know? him out of the Adelaide well, I mean, Paul, the ICC need to, you know, draw a line on the sand. They need to say this is unacceptable because, you know, it's significantly altering I mean, the, the state of the ball. The way
0: gamesmanship works in most sports is if you can get away with it without getting caught, fair enough, there's nothing we can do with it. And that that is generally accepted in a lot of sports, baseball, cricket. You know, you might put a little bit of varnish. Lisa was saying you might get a bit of sunscreen on the ball by accident. But if you get caught doing it plainly and obviously bad luck, cop Yeah, sweet, yeah, take the yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. And men, men it's, but I also think it's I think just- Channel 9 were tipped off. Sorry to interrupt. But I think we saw in Perth Smith talking to the umpires. I think someone was told at Channel 9 keep a very close eye on the South Africans because they're messing around. But
2: men, it's not just rubbing a bit of Vaseline or you got a bit of sun cream or whatever. he's He's... he's, he's, he's Whacked half the lolly to the ball to obviously give it that extra weight, so it will swing Irish, hasn't he? They made, they had two dismissals the next over. It's obviously significantly altered the composition of the ball. It, it's made a massive difference.
1: I would actually be quite fine if, if, as a result of this, they did make the rule that there is no um, chewing gum or sweets or whatever for the, for the fielding side. I think that would be an acceptable. Um, hard to police, do you think, though, no, mate? It's hard to police, but not that hard. I mean, you just say it's 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 part of the the, the rules now. If you walk yeah. onto the field with um. A, a sweet in your mouth, then that's in violation of what needs to happen. Well, that maybe they could have like the umpire has the
0: <laughs> sweets they are allowed, like obviously not the four X mints or the, you know, just a particular chewing gum that's not too sugary or something.
1: Maybe they could have hot spot angled up their mouth <laughs> to see if there's extra sort
2: of uh, got, uh, gum. Oh, gum Channel
0: Nine need to get a new one. How, can, this you, one. how can you? get rid gum of gum? gum. What,
2: what would Tom Taylor watch. be doing at first? Sleep without gum? I, look, yeah, the, I, I think. So South, gonna Afri- be done. South,
0: Af- South Africa is in crisis. They are backpedaling fast, but Australian cricket is in crisis. Maka, you've, you've brought the crisis to the forefront. Now I want to move on to what something Mike Coward said. He wrote about you sent to me where he thought that the, this, the dressing room culture is eroded and in favor, they've got this high performance unit managing the team. Now I'm going to ask you both this question, Pat Howard, is not an ex-cricketer. He's had no experience in cricket. I think having a high-performance manager who's never played cricket, especially when you start doing this badly, and since Pat Howard has been in the role, Australian cricket has not been that flash, I think his position is untenable. Now, I hate to call for someone to be fired, but I just think Pat Howard has to go. They need a cricket person in there. Ricky Ponting has come off contract. He could do the job. Get anyone, get someone that has worked their way through the first-class structure and is now intimately aware of the cricket system and get them up there rather than an ex-rugby player.
1: As a, as a someone who says that there's far too many appointments made to people who are ex-cricketers simply on the basis, as I said, that they had better hand-eye coordination than the next bloke, I'm going to defend Pat Howard and say I think we need more people without a first-class cricket background in the system. And I think, I don't know what he's like. I obviously can't know what he's like because I'm not there. But I'm saying we've got to be defending these people because we need more of them in the system.
2: Paul, if you want to look at a car crash of significant proportions in Australian sport, look at rugby union, where Pat Howard has come from. The Wallabies, I know they've beaten up, beaten up some meager opposition in the in the home in 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 the UK, but we, they can't get near the All Blacks. Pat Howard's come from this culture, and now he's transplanted that that culture in Australian cricket. Howard, there was widespread ridicule and laughter within rugby circles when Howard went over because he wasn't seen as a good operator. Sorry. Ridiculous in rugby circles. Howard wasn't seen as a good operator in rugby circles. He swindled or sweet talked Sutherland and all that, put a great presentation together. But Menes is right. The, the proof of the pudding's in the eating, and how the Aussies are gone under Howard's reign is appalling. The good thing is, his contract comes up at the end of next year, I think. Sorry, next year, doesn't it? Midway in the next he'll be gone. I so the the logical out
1: out. the logical follow on from that, Mac, is to say that had this summer, this winter, the Australian rugby team performed better. Then Pat Howard's position would be more secure. That's nonsense. You can't blame Pat
2: Howard. No, he's talking on... about it,
0: Pat Howard's track record. Don't 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 straw man out. Maybe maybe the rugby. He's talking about his track record, where he's come from, to his
1: performance. Thank you, Mez. No, but you're talking about the, the 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 implosion. I don't want to talk about rugby anymore. I just <laughs> make that very clear. You're talking about the implosion of the Australian rugby team, presumably since Pat Howard left. Maybe maybe he was the thing that was holding them together. I'm just saying that rugby isn't.
2: You know, you mentioned um, Jose Mourinho before. He's obviously a fantastic thinker. Manager. Of, of, on the game. Yeah. He's someone who's seen as a great figure within world sport. Pat Howard never was. And again, I'll probably point out, man, is that, you know, strength and conditioning in cricket and rugby would be very vastly different things, wouldn't they? The, what, how, how to work on your fitness and your strength. Would be, you know, sure, from rugby union to rugby league would be one thing, but cricket's completely different. So I don't think Pat Howard's track record justifies his position. It doesn't.
0: Next one, and this is an interesting one. Gideon Hay brought this up and talking about the fact that Greg Greg Blewett is the fielding coach for Australia and has come to that position with really no experience as a fielding coach. And probably, you know, one of Buff's old mates got him the, the job. That's how it looks anyway. And then Australia's fielding hasn't been that crash hot the last couple of years. You know, remember we used to have Mike Young, the specialist baseball fielding coach. We were a lot sharper when he was at the helm, so maybe they're just getting some of these appointments wrong. They're not sort of having a clear system of working through the way. And as you say, Paul, maybe you don't have to have played test cricket or first-class cricket, but if you have, you still have to work through the system like any other coach so you don't just get thrown in the role and
1: and cut the process of working your way up. No, I agree. I think that Blewett seems as though he hasn't really done much with Australian fielding. It's hard without being behind the scenes, but I think that um, the whole secondary coaches that we have, with with Graham Hick as well as someone that seems to be a, a strange appointment, I, I think that they don't sound like the strongest bunch of guys, but I, I don't think that we should then dispense with those positions altogether. I think those positions are valued and valuable. But yeah, Blewett, um, he's, he's been in there for a while and we don't seem to be doing much better.
2: Well, man, isn't this what Paul's been pointing to? There's too many jobs for the boys in Australian cricket.
0: Well, that's what it looks like. And so I think the question marks are with Howard, Lehman, Blewett, Hick, uh, they're all in the question mark. As you said, James Southern right at the top. He has to be um, under the spotlight going forward. Well, you know, I mean... And what if it gets worse in Adelaide? Okay, everyone thinks Hobart was our Donald Trump moment, where the world ends. Well, what if we lose sixes in a row in Adelaide? What if we go to the Gabba and underlights Pakistan rollers? That's seven tests in a row, and then we get to the MCG and they've made more changes, and it's a whole new test side again, and we lose eight in a row. Sydney nine in a row. By the end of India, could be thirteen <laughs> yeah. tests in a row.
2: I Man, as I've never said such turbid clue, mate. Are you all right, you're taking your Xanax and all that. You might be yeah. lucky
1: that we've got the the BCI hit the two-tiered test system on the head, we might be in the second division. Uh,
2: when, when do we have a test
0: against but, but West Indies I mean, coming when up? Do, yeah. when, do, when, do these, when do the people at the top heads roll? They've, they've, cut, the, they've, they've cut the test side, and there's been some talk today that the test players are victims of the system
2: well man i just i think sutherland's been there since 98 has he is that right i'm not sure he's been there for a long time and maybe he's done a good job but for someone in that role for so long they're gonna get rusty you need new ideas brought in don't you 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 need to rotate that ceo role i i think if you look at any major sort of corporations you not they're they're not don't sit there around there for ages you need to roll it over
0: well i think we've pretty much covered the crisis in Australian cricket adequately. Before we preview the Adelaide test, I just want to quickly talk about the have-a-go-your-mug promotion MACA giving away his mug. Can
2: I enter this one? No, you can't. (laughs) Certainly not. I'm not
0: giving your father-in-law another mug. Uh, If you leave a review on iTunes or whatever app you listen to the show on, email me and go in the draw for Have A Go your Mug Mug. Uh, We've had some great entries this week. If you don't want to leave a review, you can sign up on the Patreon site for $5 a month and you can get a mug straight away. Now, three entrants this week all come from England. This must be with the influx of English players english-born players into the aussie test side they've left a lot of reviews so we've got sean davies david and harry they've all left reviews now paul you're going to draw one out of the cup it's harry b well done harry you'll be getting a habanot, you mug mug enjoy that one congratulations now let's move on now to the adelaide test the third test it's the third ever day night test <laughs> it's it's going to be tough for the aussies
2: what are your initial feelings guys Paul's already touched on it, and yeah, if we get into bad under lights against the South African attack, it could be something we've become unfortunately accustomed to this summer, another collapse.
1: The thing with it is that it, it does make an intriguing prospect in that if we happen to go on the other side of things and get conditions in our favour, we could absolutely go out and hammer South Africa, um, and suddenly everyone's, oh, all the, all the changes have been worthwhile and it's all good. I think sometimes we tend to overplay... The last couple of results, the significance of them, in the same way that had we, um, you know, had we batted first in, uh, batted uh, second in Hobart, maybe things would have turned out slightly differently there. So, I think though that South Africa do deserve to start this match as favourites, and that we will need, um, uh, we, we we want conditions to be in our favour in order to be able to win.
2: I agree, Paul, because KP, as favourite commentator pointed out in uh, down at over Oval, Blundstone Arena, that. You know, you shouldn't be panicking so much, at least early on, he said, because it was a difficult w- w- bat- wicket to bat on first. And if South Africa had been in that position, they might have collapsed as well. But then you go back to Perth and think how far ahead we were ahead of the game and then how far we fell behind. There are obviously some oh, yeah. problems well, well,
0: there. We've we've talked a lot about how bad Australia have been a lot but I think one thing that I just want to touch on about this match is South Africa have actually been very surprising. And there is a few players that have three players in particular that I thought would be potential holes in the batting lineup, but have stood up. Dean Elgar at the top, that gritty hundred in Perth. He's someone I thought who has real spine for that top order. But then you've got Temba Bavuma, who really. Uh, I mean, despite scoring a test century against England earlier this year, I wasn't sure he'd be able to cope with the conditions here, but he's looked like a really plucky competitor. And, and I don't think the South Africans are going to roll over if there's a bit of movement on the pitch in Adelaide. I, I think they've got a bit more grit about them than we give them credit.
1: Yeah, you could make a good case. I don't think
0: Stark or Hazelwood would, could blow them away like I thought they could coming into the series.
1: Well, yeah, you could make a good case that the the sort of secondary players from both sides—that's where the South Africans have absolutely hammered us. That those players that you just mentioned have really performed well, and were... De Kock as well. Yeah, the De Kock's Ab- the other one. Yeah. Well, he's the—I mean, he's the first player i just about pick on either side. That's how good he is. Um, and then um, you look at the uh, our top two bowlers, Hazelwood and Stark, have evolved pretty well, but then it's fallen away quite badly from there. Whereas their third bowler, for argument's sake, of Abbott uh, has been uh, you know absolutely unplayable. So. Yeah, they're a very, very good side.
2: I mean, I think it's de Kock that's gotten the heads of Australian selectors, that they've looked at de Kock and said, we used to have that in Gilchrist, we want it again, so hence they've gone for Wade. That's what I think's happened there.
0: I mean, it's a fair point, Well, de Kock has been so instrumental in this victory by South Africa. And... Yeah, he's obviously come in and dominated the game. I don't think Wade's quite the class of de though. But Mm. look at this Adelaide pitch. Now, last year they left nine millimetres of grass on the Adelaide wicket because to keep the pink ball together. The work done by Kookaburra, they put a little bit more lacquer on the ball and they've changed the colour to a black seam. The ball tends to hold together a bit better than it did last year, so maybe there won't be quite as much grass on the wicket, which is good news for our top order. Uh, so I think we should see maybe four days of cricket. What do you think, guys? I'm going to Adelaide. I'm, I'm flying back on the morning of the fifth day. Will I be missing any cricket? Will I get the, the fourth day to tour
1: around? Will it be a three-day affair again? Well, um, I, I think four days is probably a pretty good guess. Uh, hopefully for you, it's not going to be a, a final fifth morning of uh, epic proportions <laughs> and you're on the plane. I'm interested in your guys' thoughts on the actual the prospect of this game. I've been a huge fan of day-night cricket, uh, day-night test cricket, I saw some of the game in Dubai between Pakistan and West Indies earlier on, and it was it was really it had a good exciting finish, but it was pretty dire during it. And I remember thinking, geez, I kind of wish that we had a red ball in a normal Test match. I've started to go off at a tiny, but I don't know why I'm even um, feeling that way. But um, I hope it's really, I hope it's going to be the spectacle that it, that it that it should be. The word
0: I'm hearing is that the people does not and will not perform as well on the subcontinent as it does here. Right. So I think we will see a decent game in Adelaide, but once you get into the subcontinent with the dew factor and the more abrasive surfaces, then they had to change the ball a couple
2: of times in Dubai. I don't think they'll have to do that here. Well, I think the great thing about last summer was that. Cricket Australia managed to make it a real event, didn't they? I mean, Adelaide Oval, fantastic new reconfigured, regenerated Oval. You've had a massive crowd. It's 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 in town there. It's beautiful surroundings. I think that was, you know, and when you've got it in some dust bowl in the desert somewhere, I don't know, it doesn't... Yeah, you're it, right. It lacks... It, they, you have to make these things an event, don't you, mate? You and do. I think Cricket Australia did that. Well, I'm very much looking forward to it. Quickly,
0: your tips. South Africa or Australia, Paul, for this match?
2: I have to say South Africa. Macca? Well, we, I'm not a betting man, but you'd have to... I'm, I'm hoping there's some fight in the old dog. I really am, and I think there really might be. But, look, I, I just can't bring myself to tip Australia.
0: I'm going to go for an Australian victory. We're going to stop the right. We're going to stop this succession of test losses. And, uh, I a minute Stark ago,
2: we were losing 100 tests on what the trot. Said, mate, what's happened? Happened? That's what could happen. But <laughs>
0: I'm backing Stark under lights to roll the South Africans, and we're going to... Uh, get some
2: pride back in the baggy green. Man, man, I want to min- mention an interesting subtext here because obviously this summer... Channel 9 hasn't got great value out of the the games. They've lost a lot of cricket.
0: Well, this is good because we're moving on to the commentator critique. So is it going to fit in with this segment?
2: Yeah, well, mate, you know, obviously Channel 9...
0: Their ratings are going down, which is why I think Channel 9 sent their commentators in after the Hobart test. Someone from management said, look,
2: ratings are going down. Get down in the sheds and talk to the boys. (laughs) Well, obviously, the head of Channel 9 indicated last week within an interview with the Financial Review that they're not a lock for the test rights... When they come up for a new, that they want to go for the BBL, aren't they? And I think that is such a load of crap. I was reading that.
0: I've got a it no, It's here. posturing, is of from, course. This it is from John Purick at the Age. Whether it was a serious threat or simply posturing, Channel Nine has made it clear it's no lock to bid for the next round of international cricket rights. That's posturing. But okay, that but is complete posturing. Men, men is That's how you leverage a no, But you're running
2: a TV network, and obviously you want to maximise your revenue, and you, and you want to appeal to those demographics. Dem- graphics that advertisers appeal to it's a no-brainer it's a big bbl like that's where it's at you know it must but be channel nine are trying to leverage they want they more are of the i know BBL but if, you, but if you're someone cricket. and you're looking at it purely from a money point of view paul w- would you ditch i could see them and I'm, i don't think it'll happen because you know it, there's emotions come into it but i, I you could ditch the cricket the uh, the tests and just go for the bbl and i think that would enhance your profitability
1: Well, I think the interesting thing is that, and I think I agree with you Menace to a point, but I think there is a kernel of truth to it as well, that whereas once it was unthinkable from a Channel 9 point of view that they wouldn't have the international cricket, I think those days definitely have ended, and I think Channel 9 could now countenance the prospect of 7 or 10 having the cricket, and they could live with that, whereas I think 10 years ago, that would have been an absolute... um...
2: KP passing on is obviously part of that, but is KP dead? (laughs) Kerry Packard. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I thought it was Kevin
1: Peterson. It would
2: have been. Careful what you wish for, man. Now,
0: so with the commentary critique. So, one of our very own panelists, Gav Joshi, has been commentating all weekend on the Southern Stars. And I had a little bit of a chat with him before the show. And he, this is what he said to me. Oh, it was good to be back commentating. Like he's <laughs> fing Richie Beno <laughs> or something. Like, that's <laughs> rich. <laughs> a dead said, <set>, God. <laughs> Gav, Gav Beno at the box. But he's going to be commentating on the Southern Stars, I think, in the next game. So good good luck business. to him. Good luck. Now, more interesting commentary box news. Kerry O'Keefe will be commentating for Triple M, as will James Brayshaw, Brett Lee, Brad Haddon, Isagua and Michael Slater. What do we think of that lineup for Triple M's
1: test coverage? Not, not overwhelmingly good. I think that Brett Lee... Um, wouldn't be someone that I'd want to listen to. Brad Haddon I'd find pretty boring. Um, uh, Isagura is good. Slats is good. Kerry O'Keefe's good. And I don't mind Brayshaw. But all in all, I'd say that's, you know... Thumbs down. Uh, thumbs diagonally down. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> mate, mate, you I love the skull. I just love those yeah, ane- so I, anecdotes yeah. he comes up with. And there's the punchline. It's like a Tom Wolfe novel. It's fantastic. But Slats, mate, Slats obviously, you know, cut his teeth on that in radio before he moved to channel Nine, I loved him on radio he's still on breakfast radio it's yeah sitting. I know but commentating mate oh, commentating yeah. yeah and that breakfast radio is it's just very very cheesy but I'm looking forward to listening to Slats on the radio
1: I'll be interested to see how Haddon goes Now, I could be completely wrong but I, he just strikes me as someone who if he's not playing cricket or not being paid to watch it wouldn't be all that interested in watching the game
0: oh, I don't mind listening to him on inside cricket on Fox I think Fox Sports I think he's not bad Haddon Um, And he's certainly opinionated. I mean, if he's anything like the way he plays, he won't shy back from having an opinion. I just think there's a transition period that a player goes from, from being a player to being a commentator. And in between, I notice players are quite guarded in what they say. It takes them a while to really sort of cut the ties as being a player and really sort of be more forthcoming and giving criticism. So I think hopefully we'll see Haddon come to that point. But that was the commentary critique this week. Now, if you want to get in touch with the Australian Cricket Podcast, I'm going to tell you how to do it. You can email at auscricketpod, auscricketpod at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at auscricketpod. We're on Facebook as the Australian Cricket Podcast. Please send a review to itunes email us and you will go in the draw for a mug tell all your cricket loving friends about the australian cricket podcast and there's a bit of a short turnaround between shows and there's a show with lisa stelaika the episode before this if you missed that i would thoroughly recommend going back and downloading episode 159 with lisa stelaika
2: Nathan Lyon looks at the umpire and says, uh, I'm staying, so the umpire wants to have a look at it himself. Okay, uh, I'm going to go back on field, Rob. Ravi, are you there? Ravi, I've got no conclusive evidence about this. I've looked at everything I've got. I can't find anything to say that he's definitely hit this. No no RTS. There's a mark on the back, but it could come from anywhere uh, from a flash, so give it not out and stay where you're not out.
0: Welcome back to the Australian Cricket Podcast. That was one of my fond memories from the Adelaide test last year when Nathan Lyon won a reprieve in
2: controversial
0: circumstances. When
2: men as he's won another reprieve this week too, mate. Well
0: Nigel Long saw a mark on the bat and said that f- flash could be anything. You know, so could Bob's meteorite, aliens. Yeah, Bob's still dirty about that one. Probably cost New Zealand the test. I wonder if we'll see anything that controversial in Adelaide this week. Now, to, list, to end the show this week, we have a new segment. Because it has been all doom and gloom in Australian cricket, the last three podcasts have been all about the crisis in Australian cricket. I borrowed a segment from uh, the Pop Culture Happy Hour, which is a podcast from America. And they end a lot of their shows with what's made you happy in the last week. Now, let's keep this to cricket, Macker. What's made you happy in the last week? Man,
2: is this is a bit like when you watch the news and there's murder and rape and pillage and terrorism and then at the end you see a couple of puppies running around that have just been born and the world's suddenly a good place, isn't it? Yes. Mate, I, you know, what what do they say? That, uh, you know, the darkest hour always comes before the dawn and I think we're at that stage in Australian cricket at the moment, another new dawn. And, I, mate, I was r- really... Loved seeing Steve Smith's unbridled, uncut. You know, he's he was just so honest, and so, he's had such passion about playing for Australian cricket. And I think after the terrible loss in Hobart, and I think you know, I think that's sort of so that's made you happy seeing Steve Smith well, so passionate well, just, about the Yeah, just ha- happy, glad, Enco- evokes memories and, of border, encouraged. Yeah, and even you know, and even and Paul mentioned you know that the feeling a lot of people have and the passion for. Australian cricket, it is our number one sport. I mean, we're split down the centre when it comes to football, but, you know, these are the best athletes in the country. They're playing for our number one national side. And that Steve Smith showed that it really matters to him as a captain. I mean, you go back to Kim Hughes and he cried when he had to stand down from the role. I think it continues, you know, it's it's a rich vein of so love for the game. So Smith's passion has made yeah, you happy. Yeah,
0: Excellent. Now, Paul, what's made you happy in the last week?
1: What's made me happy is the... Um, and there's a nice symmetry from from my point of view that we got bowled out for, what, 80-odd um, in in the Hobart Test. And that was the lowest score uh, by Australia in Australia since 1984-85. That's someone that you're talking about, um, Macca. We got bowled out for 70-odd at the Wacker And that was the first real season that I got into cricket. And I think that part of the reason that I loved cricket was that because Australia failed and failed and failed and failed Every little success that we had, I remember Kepler Vessels got some runs, Andrew Hillage got some runs, boring innings, but the seven or eight-year-old me got into cricket um, because of the little success we had in the face of this adversity. There will be a generation of young kids out there now who otherwise cricket might have passed them by who will see this and hear all the headlines and be like, oh, you know, this is terrible. Um, and then when um, you know, some, something good next happens in Australian cricket, they will get a surge along as a result of this and become lifelong cricket fans. And so as an evangelist for cricket, Australia's poor performance has paradoxically made me happy. That is, yep. Well,
0: I can draw a parallel with that, Paul, because I fell in love with cricket on Lord Howe Island on the 1988-89 season. There was just ABC channel. That was all there was. So I never watched cricket, but that was the only thing to watch. I watched the whole summer and we got rolled by the Windies, tormented by their... Battery of fast bowlers.
2: But then we
0: went on the 89 Ashes tour following that. And the triumph there really just brought out my love of cricket well, that
2: was a real turning point and, and too, I, I see
0: what you're saying so yeah i really like that what's made you happy in the last and, week And as
2: i hark back to when alan board i got seven for 46 and we beat the windies that was sort of that's the same summer I yeah, yeah that's what I th- did you get thrown out of the scg that day <laughs> that was later that was a couple of summers later <laughs> and a All couple right.
0: of summers later <laughs> and now i'm going to finish up with what's made me happy in the last week and it's from very recent memory i was sitting on my couch watching England battle away against India in the, the test match. And they're trying to stave off a draw, bat for a day and a half. And Hamid and Cook had had scored like 60 runs and 60 overs. Hamid gets out uh, about half an hour before stumps. And then Cook's dour opening bats and blocking everything. And I was just thinking, you know, I would really love it if Alistair Cook could just get out before stumps. Because if I'm a, an English fan, you, you, you really just want your cook to stay there and if he's there the next morning you really got a good chance at drawing this and you know we've watched so many horrific collapses and wickets just before stumps we've been on the other side so lo and behold last night cook looks like he's gonna get through to stumps last over of the day gets out lbW after being losing two referrals just before that where the Indians thought they had him so cook three chances and he's gone in the last over of the day I can tell the English fans would have been hanging their heads in disappointment, and that made me happy. (laughs) Made made me very happy. (laughs) We
2: need some more shooting fraud, don't we, in this sort of thing. Love it, man. It's taking pleasure in other people's pain.
0: That was so good, and (laughs) I think they'll get rolled today. It also made me happy
1: because I had a small bet on England to win the match at 50-1, to and with Cook there, there's no chance of them winning. (laughs) 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 With Cook out there, there's every chance they'll lose, but at least they might score some runs now.
0: Well, listeners, we've come to the end of another Australian cricket podcast thanks as ever of downloading the show all about the number one sport in this country Paul thanks for coming in thanks Menas thanks Macca Macca thanks for coming in this is unprecedented four shows in a row for you you haven't done that for three years how are you feeling but
2: I'm loving it and I'm you know I'm just looking to prop up Australian cricket it's a new era for us I'm, I want to be part of it all thanks Paul thanks Menas it's been great thanks for downloading the show back soon Streak.
0: He's played no better shot than that in the whole of the series. Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.